Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. Glad that you guys are here with us today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ruth chapter 4 is where we will be as we wrap up this series. Uh, a couple things, um, uh, Berger kind of alluded to some of this as he was leading with us this morning. Have you ever walked into work or into your home and everything that should be happening normally is not? All right. That was us today. Okay. Uh, everything with every piece of technology, every piece of media, everything going on with the internet was, was not working correctly. And so as you uh, maybe did, we're going through check-in or had some different things this morning. If you're feeling some things that were off uh, first, let, let me just say we apologize. And we've had people working hard this morning to get everything the way that it needs to be. Uh, but I, I, more importantly, cause I know you guys extend us grace in that. Uh, but it reminded of me this morning of just the wonderful team of volunteers that we have because it affected children's ministry across the board all the way up into our worship today. And so uh, just an extra reminder as you see those greeters or you see those volunteers at check-in stations or small group leaders or musicians or people in the booth or in everywhere in between, just just thank them for what they do and for how they serve because they had to ratchet it up a little a bit today as we work through some of those. But we, but we thank each and every one of you uh, for being here today. Well, we have a change to an announcement that we've been making, and so uh, if you're a calendar keeper, if you want to make sure you've got everything lined up, uh, we have been sharing for the last couple weeks that Rick and Tina Nolan, who are a part of Willow Ridge Church, who have been serving for two years on the foreign mission field in Athens, Greece, working with Afghani refugees, uh, are, are coming back to the States to continue the work that the Lord is doing, but doing it in, in the United States. And we had talked about having them together with us on Wednesday. Wednesday, June the 8th, and due to some circumstances with them, with getting housing and everything lined up for them, that date is not going to work, and so instead they will be with us on Sunday, July the 10th, and so we've moved it about a month away from, from when we originally had it, and so we would love to have you be here and be a part of that night to hear all the Lord is doing, how God has used them, and then also what they feel the Lord is leading to them, or they know what the Lord is leading to them for this next chapter and next season in their life. And so we look forward to having them back with us and being able to worship and, and, and continue on in ministry with us as a church. And so we'd like to invite you to be with us that evening. So we are wrapping up our series in, in Ruth. We've, we've hit a, a chapter a week and started off with an introduction. And so this week we're wrapping this series up and, and I'm excited to see. It's been, it's been a good reminder uh, for me of, of what we just sang about, right? Through all my life, you have been faithful, right? We don't say, God, through all of my life, I've been faithful to you, right? We look at God's faithfulness. And I think sometimes in our life, we can get so caught up in the moment, we can get so caught up in the detail, we can so get caught in the emotion of the circumstance of what's happening that there can begin to be this feeling or this sense of where is God, where is God's faithfulness? And as we've read through Ruth, 
There's those characters in this story that we can feel that, these individuals who, who this continues to be where they are, but what we're reminded of continually through the lives of others is the continued faithfulness of the Lord. And we're going to see the culmination or the building of that as we wrap up this morning. So uh, what we're going to do, we're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, and then, and then wrap it up here at the end. So let's go ahead and jump in. We'll read all of chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders in the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to your relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So if you were with us last week or reading through this with us, you know there was this pivotal interaction between Boaz and, and Ruth on the threshing floor in chapter 3. Where basically Ruth is saying, I want you to redeem me. I want you to be the one who marries me, who does this. But Boaz, being a man of character, Boaz, being a man of integrity, says, but there's someone else, there's a nearer kinsman that has the rights before I do. And so the next morning, he gets up and goes to the city gates where the businessmen and where business would be done that day, and he knows this nearer kinsman would be. And so he explains the situation to the kinsman. And he says, if you choose to, to, to do this, to, to purchase Naomi's property, then you will become the redeemer. And we said at the very beginning in the introduction, this is one of the greatest love stories of all time, right? And we're hoping in that moment as we read, the guy's like, nah, I'm good. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he says, okay, then, then I will redeem it. And in our hearts, got to kind of be like, oh, no, this isn't what we thought. This isn't what we expected. This isn't what we hoped for. And so let's look at verse 5. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. 
To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses in this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and all that and, and to Malan. And so also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among, among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord Make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez and Tamar who bore Judah, because the offspring of the Lord that will give you by this young woman. And so Boaz tells him, you know, if you are the kinsman redeemer, then here's what this means. You take Ruth as your wife. And I don't know why. Something with inheritance, some things going on there, but this guy's like, look, if, if that's what, I'm not looking to get married, right? And so he passes. And now Boaz and Ruth can get married. What we've longed for, what we've hoped for, as we've seen this story take all of the ups and downs of what it's going through. But then at the end, we begin to see as they look forward of the hope of offspring. It's been a key theme throughout this entire book that we've studied. The hope that comes, the hope that will be found, the future that is promised because an offspring will be born. And so verse 13 so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And God telling the story of redemption. And God blesses Boaz and blesses Ruth, and that's where our hearts rejoice. But there's more to the story. There's more in the story of redemption. There's this story of Naomi. And toward the end, in these last few verses, the story kind of shifts from Boaz and Ruth to back to Naomi. The one who at one point in time had described herself, had changed her name to Mara to reflect the bitterness that was in her heart. Look at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, 
and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi, who's gone on this roller coaster of experiences, roller coaster of emotions. And what we've even seen within her life, this roller coaster of, of faith. From the very beginning, and evidence of the things that she said that's come out of her mouth, we know that Naomi is a follower of God. Naomi knows God. Naomi knows about God. But Naomi, who just like so many of us, has had such a difficult time navigating herself through the plan that has been laid out before, before her by the Lord to trust him as she walks through that. And what we see in this story, what we see in this book is a story of setbacks, of hope, of tragedy and despair, of joy and of strategies, all culminating to one. But I want to say this to you as we kind of draw all that we've been studying these last five weeks from the book of Ruth. When we look at Naomi, when we look at Ruth, when we look at Boaz, when we see this story that's unfolding, if we think about it, okay, and we take away some of the context of the names and the individuals, if we take away maybe some of the specifics of the details, and we just look big picture at the story that's unfolded before us, it's not necessarily a truly unlikely story. It's not a story that would be uncommon for others to experience or uncommon maybe for you or I to walk through with our families in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. This family from the very beginning of what we talk to begins by going through some hardships, go through a famine. Has your family been through a hardship? This family, as they begin, as we navigate through this story, they experience death. Has your family experienced death? The death that they experience in some parts is expected. And by expected, I mean an older generation died. Have you walked through that? And in some cases, it's unexpected. A mother buries her sons. And while less common, when I look through the ministry that God's allowed me to have over the last 20 years, when I perform funerals, it's not always grandpa or grandma. It's been sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters. It's been adults, it's been kids. A family that experiences death. Have you experienced that? It's the story of love lost and story of love found. It's the story of some of those who through their faith rise above their circumstances. And it's some that allow their circumstances to be all-consuming and bring them down. It's the story of a baby being born. 
Now here's what makes us at the very beginning of this begin to look at this different. And this is good and this is right and this is what we do. You see, when, when, when you and I open God's word, we open it with an expectation, right? As a believer and follower of Jesus Christ and knowing that every word from Genesis to Revelation is true, is powerful, is living, is transformative, is the word by which through the hope of Christ that we are saved. But when we open God's word as believers, and so five weeks ago when we said open up to Ruth, and we're going to study this, that you and I as followers of Christ, what we came to was an expectation of two things. Number one, we expected as we read through this, even in the midst of these ordinary events of life for extraordinary things to happen. And we see that in this story. We see extraordinary events unfold before us as we read this and as we teach this and as we dive into this in our quiet time. We see extraordinary events and we expect that. No one ever opens the Bible that's a follower of Christ and says, this is about to be boring. We expect extraordinary events because of the second reason. When we open up God's word, we expect to see the hand of God at work, and we do. It's what we've talked about from day one, from moment one in this study, is that everything that happens, we're continued and reminded about the hand of God and how God is working through things like famine and death and through things like gleaning from a field and a threshing room floor and an encounter at a gate, and everywhere in between. But if we were to read this story out of the context of Scripture, we might miss that. We might miss that if we didn't bring an expectation of the extraordinary. We might miss that if we didn't bring an expectation of looking for the hand of God. And so what I want to say this morning, what I want us to do as as we read through this, is to remind ourselves what I'm going to call the the miracle in the ordinary. The miracle in the ordinary. You see, in in the story of Ruth, there's no parting of the sea. In the story of Ruth, there's no miraculous healing. In the story of of, of Ruth, there is no slaying of an impenetrable force. There's no manna that falls from heaven. But what we see is the working hand of God in Ruth and Naomi all through it. All through from the very beginning. Go go back and and think through from verse 1. Without the famine, there is no journey to Moab. Without Moab, there is no Ruth. Without the death of Naomi's husbands and sons, there's no desperation in return to Bethlehem. With no desperation, there's no need for Ruth to glean from the fields. If there's no fields, then there's no Boaz and Ruth meeting. And if Ruth and Boaz don't meet, then there is no marriage. And with no marriage, there is no Obed. And that's the miraculous working hand of God, even in events of life that other people would tell you are ordinary, but we can see the extraordinary hand of the Lord working and moving through that. And God took what would be the ordinary events and he made them extraordinary. Now, let me ask you this. In our own lives, in our own lives, 
do we stop and give praise and honor and glory in the events of our life that seem ordinary? And do we look for the active working hand of the Lord in every moment in our life and then praising for it? The other day, I was sitting at a red light. I was sitting at the red light. If you, if you take the uh, uh, two-notch that intersects with, with, with South Lake 6, and you come to that red light down at the very end where there's the, the CVS and there's the roses and there's, there's all that. If you've never taken that direction and gotten that red light, let me just say something about that red light. You can take a nap at that red light, right? I've eaten a five-course meal there, right? I wrote a paper sitting there one day, all right? It takes a while. Now, I'm sitting there at that red light, and I feel my phone vibrate. Well, I know that I've been sitting there for a while, but I'm thinking I've at least got another 30 minutes, so let me check it out and see what's going on. And I realized it was a message, and I was like, you know, I'll just sit here with my foot on the brake and just respond. Now, I'm probably not the best thing, the best timing to do, but that's what I did. And then all of a sudden, I heard that gracious noise that says, will you please go, right? (laughs) And I look up, sorry, and as I take off to go, a big old truck comes blazing through that that intersection, right? Was it chance? We don't believe in chance. Was it dumb luck? Because I shouldn't have been on my phone and I should have activated the settings right that cut it off when I start moving. I know that. We don't believe in that either. Or was it the providential hand of God in that moment to spare my life? And in that moment, we praise him. Here's what I find as I read through the details of this story particularly. Is you and I, we spend way too much time asking God where he's at and asking God why he has done nothing. Instead of focusing on all that he has done, looking for it in our lives, and then praising him for it when it happens. In all of the ordinary events that happen and take place, to praise the Lord and understand the miracle of that in our lives, right? The miracle in the ordinary. Because here's the thing, it's not ordinary at all. It's extraordinary that the creator of the heavens and the earth in every moment, the savior of our soul, the redeemer of our life is with us, knows us, and loves us. And do we praise him for it? I'm reminded also as we study through this book, the pursuits that we have in life. And I want to ask you this this morning. Is your life marked with the pursuit of pure joy? Or is your life marked with the pursuit of fleeting happiness? 
I read an author this week who said, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. I want to read that to you again. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. Let's keep up with the theme of driving and talk about that some more, okay? I've never driven past the state of Mississippi. Like Mississippi, Arkansas, that's kind of as far as I've been. Haven't been any farther than out there. I would love, nothing would warm my heart than for me and my wife to get in and drive all the way across the country, head all the way up the West Coast, drive all the way back through. I would absolutely love to do that. Nothing would pain my wife more than to get in a car with me and drive all the way across. And it's not that it's me, it would be you too, right? Like she's not the car rider. That's not, that's not joy for her. She would be like, cool, you drive to Dallas, I'll meet you there, all right? And then you drive to Los Angeles, I'll meet you there. Like that's more her speed on a plane. So I haven't driven past that. But, but my dad, one time, this was early on in, in my marriage, my, my dad took a job in Nebraska. It was seasonal work. He'd go out there and work for six to eight months, and then he'd come home to North Augusta. And on his first route to Nebraska, I'd kind of call him every day and ask him how his trip's going. And I knew it was going to take a really long time because my dad doesn't like to go over 55 miles an hour. So he had like three weeks to get there. So every day I'm calling him, and and he finally kind of hit the last leg of his tour. And it was going to be the Iowa to Nebraska to where he was going. And so I called him when he got to Nebraska, and I said, hey, Dad, how did your trip go? And he said, well, son, I'm going to tell you, I didn't see trees, I didn't see mountains, I didn't see people. All I saw from Iowa to Nebraska was corn, just corn for hours upon hours upon hours. All I saw was corn. So I get to my hotel after one of the most boring drives of corn stalks that I've ever experienced in my life. And I get to my hotel and he said, son, right beside the hotel was a restaurant. And it said two beautiful words, country buffet, right? And he thought, that's what I'm gonna do. And he said, oh, I'm gonna have this craving. After a day of driving to seeing corn, I wanted some corn on the cob. I wanted sweet corn. I wanted corn casserole. I wanted cornbread. If if they make corn pudding, I want the corn pudding. If there's a corn protein dish, I wanted corn. Like the drive was boring, but I'm thinking corn, 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 right? So I'm going to go and get me some corn. He said, so I walked in, and you saw it. It was like, like go old school with me, all right? Golden corral, like just laid out. He said, buddy, they had steak. At country cooking, they had nachos. But there was not one single piece of corn on that buffet, right? He said, I was just devastated. That's all I wanted was corn. I said, well, but Dad, how was the drive? He said, well, it was easy, but it was boring. This past spring break, we share with you guys that we went to the mountains. And I asked everybody in my family what they wanted to do over spring break. And, and, and Aaron had the things she wanted to do, Grace had he wanted to do, but Emma wanted to see a waterfall. Every day, wanted to go see a waterfall. 
So I found a waterfall that we were going to go see, that we could go to, that we could walk and walk behind. And, and, and everybody on the internet said, this is where you'll get the prettiest pictures and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I pulled up on, on my Google Maps on my phone the route from our, our cabin to where this mountain is and, or this waterfall is. And it says that uh, it's only about 10 miles away, but will take about 40 minutes to get there. I should have thought through that a little bit better, but I didn't. All right. So we get up that morning, we get some breakfast, and we head out. And we drive through the mountains. Now, a couple people may or may not have gotten a little car sick, right? We were stopped several times by road construction crews. And at least five times, I almost ran off the road. For a couple reasons. Number one... It was pretty, right? And like, I want, it's weird. I want to be control and drive, but I want to look at stuff too. And it's a bad combination. So a couple times was that, but then a couple times I realized like that caution, take this turn at 15 miles an hour is not a suggestion, right? Like it's a really good idea. Do that. And I want to tell you, that drive was terrible. It was terrible. We were like, are we ever going to get there, another road construction crew. Are we ever going to get there, dad's right, two tires hit gravel, right? Are we ever going to get there? But when we got there, the drive was worth it. When we got there, no one complained about being car sick. No one complained about losing cell phone reception. No one said, I can't believe this took us 40 minutes. No one complained about my driving until we started headed back. <laughs> Here's what I want to say. Why do I tell these random two stories? Your life and my life are a lot more like that ride through the mountains than the journey through the plains. It's filled with highs and lows difficult seasons and turns, some sickness here and there. But in the end, the road that the Lord leads us down, why not, while not simple and safe, is worth it. It's worth it. And the beauty about that road is God's using it and doing something in us through it. I know some of you right now are dead in the middle of the season of the journey through the mountains. And you're like, Bo, an open road with nothing but corn would be a breeze right now. And I know that. I've been on those hard mountain roads too. Right now we feel like we've got a little bit of rest from one personally, so I know another one might not be too far ahead. But about these journeys, here's what we see in, in, in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produced steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see... I told you earlier, 
I asked you, what are you pursuing? Pure joy or fleeting happiness? Fleeting happiness, it, it comes and it goes because it's tied to emotion. It's tied to the moment. And, and we as Christians, God gives this to us. We get to have this. Right? There's beauty in the, in the moment when it's happening and you're overjoyed and happiness is there. Like being happy is not bad for a Christian. It's, it's a beauty of the life that we get to live in. But here's the thing, it comes and it goes because it's connected to an emotion, it's connected to a circumstance. But pure joy, while still a feeling that we can live in and experience is not rooted in a circumstance, but it's rooted in the Lord. And that's what we see in the life of Naomi and the life of Ruth. Both facing the same difficult journeys, both facing the same difficult battle, one whose heart is trusting the Lord in the pursuit of joy that will work in her and create in her and produce a steadfastness in the Lord. And lastly, what we want to look at in this, these passages is the work of grace in the providence of God. Look back at Ruth 4, verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. And Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amenadab, and Amenadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And at the end of this, we can celebrate King David, all of this that built through, all of this in creating the lineage. What we see here in verse 22 at the end is, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And so we could look at that if it just ended there and say, well, it was worth it, wasn't it? It was worth it because look at what it brought and look at what God did. That you take a woman who had to flee because of a famine and go into a foreign land and experience all she had to experience and the lineage that would come through this is the lineage of royalty. And we can celebrate that. But the beauty, if you study genealogy, is the genealogy doesn't end there. And if you were to look, and turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, look at Matthew chapter 1. And I'm not going to read all, but I do want to say, if you notice right at the top, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, as Matthew tells his gospel, he says, listen, hey, I'm going to let you know the lineage of Jesus the genealogy of Jesus. And I want to read this morning verses 2 through 6. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez 
and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenabad, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salman the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And we could go and continue to read and read and read. And what we'll find are the names of people that God used, that he created for his purpose. You see, the story of Ruth is the story of all of the things that we've mentioned. But it's what we began with, with week one in our introduction. It all leads to Jesus. It's the story of his family. It's the story of these men and women over the course of time being used by the hand of God to go all the way through so that one day what will be born by the Virgin Mary is a child named Jesus who is God in flesh and who would die on the cross for our sins and who would raise to life and give us new life. If we had time, and we, we don't this morning, but if we have time, we could go through the story of Jesus' family. And I don't know about you, but we've all got those family members, right? Like, I'm not the only one. I got a lot of them, and sometimes I think that I am one of them, right? <laughs> that people tell the stories about. The story of Jesus' family, let's just say... It's not G-rated. It's not clean. It's not pretty. It's filled with rebellion and sin. It's filled with men and women who have been told from the very mouth of God the plan that God has for them. And while knowing the plan that God has for them and for their life, they still choose less. The story of Jesus' family or about those who chose adultery, murder, theft, prostitution, and more. But the story is but God. They chose all of these things, but in the faithfulness, because in all my life, in spite of what I've done, in spite of what I've chosen, in spite of what I've thought, in spite of what I've said, but in all my life, you have been faithful. And in all my life, in the ups and downs and the highs and lows and the tragedy and the suffering and the joy and the happiness, in all of those, Lord, you have been so, so good. And that's what we see. We see the picture of grace in the providence of God. And in the providence of God, in these stories, <laughs> he displays his grace.
continually over and over again. See, none of them deserved it. None of us deserve it. But God in his providence says, watch what I do. Maybe today you and I need to be reminded of the costly grace of God. The costly grace of God that was freely given to us. I say it's costly because the grace we received, it costs something. It costs Jesus' life. But we say that it's free because it's been given to you and I because we can't pay for it. And it shows of what we sing and what we trust and what we can hope for in the goodness of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, I just thank you so much for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you, for, Lord, for your faithfulness to your word. That you've done what your word says you would do. And that you will do what you promise you will do. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful story that at the end, what we see is it's not just the one who did it all right that gets redeemed. But it's the one who doubted. It's the one who struggled. It's the one who had weaker faith. Lord, and they're both redeemed. And their redemption is found in a baby, in a boy. Lord, may this story remind us about the redemptive plan that you have. A redemption that is not found through good behavior, good works. A redemption that is not found through a pure lineage of our own. A redemption that is not found through the religious works that we muster up to do. But a redemption is found through your son. Redemption is found at a great cost to you. A redemption is found those who get more right and those who get more wrong. Lord, I pray this morning as we read this, as we journey through, we would know through the drawing of your spirit, Lord, bring us to our Redeemer, Jesus. Lord, I pray for us in here this morning. And Lord, as we're going on the journey of life, 
you've set before us. When we face the bumps in the road, when we face the hazards in the road, when we face where the road turns and takes us down a path that we would not choose for ourselves, Lord, I pray that in that word that we would know whether it's cancer or criticism, whether it's life or death, Lord, you're doing something with it. You're, you're, you're building up something in us. A faithfulness, Lord, that we can't do on our own. A faithfulness that's built in the seasons of life of trusting you and seeing your faithfulness or to what you're going to do. So Lord, whether it's the person this morning that needs to take the first step of faith in a relationship with you or Lord, whether it's the seasoned saint that needs to surrender over the battle in their life, Lord, that today may our lives be marked in the trusting of your plan for our lives and the pursuit of it. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.